Hey everyone, welcome to episode four of Logo Soup. Today I'm going to be talking about the psychological phenomenon of conspiracy theories, particularly the infamously revived flat earth theory. First, I'm going to explain the theory itself, and then I'll be analyzing the psychological mechanisms that make it compelling. And eventually I'm going to talk about the Jungian and mythological and dreamlike elements of the theory. Now, I believe those latter surreal elements of the theory are actually extremely interesting and very important for modern people to understand because they reflect some serious and real existential problems that exist in our culture, some existential conundrums and strange dreamlike intimations that people have been having for, for forever. So let's jump right into it. <clears throat> I first became interested in YouTube conspiracy theories sometime around last year, mostly for the memes. I've been a fan of the Joe Rogan podcast and mixed martial arts for a while, so I loved watching Eddie Bravo and Joe Rogan argue about conspiracy theories. For those of you that don't know, Eddie Bravo is a really, really successful uh, jiu-jitsu instructor. He's one of the, the best instructors, best practitioners in the world. He's a really smart guy which makes it very paradoxical when he goes on these crazy rants and, and arguments with Joe Rogan, trying to convince Joe and the audience that uh, the earth is flat or dinosaurs are fake or whatever crazy conspiracy theory that Eddie's on that day. <clears throat> now, Eddie often cites a person named Eric Dubay, who, as far as I can tell, is the most influential flat earth theorist. After watching Eddie and Joe argue a bunch, I decided to watch the Eric Dubé documentaries that that Eddie is always talking about. I watched them with my roommates, really mostly for the memes. We were just hanging out and, and looking to watch something funny. Um, and as I watched them, I, I even conducted something like a social experiment on myself, where I tried to see if I could convince myself that the Earth really was flat. You know, last summer, I remember being at parties and telling my aerospace engineer friends that the earth is flat and that their, their whole major is a lie. Uh, I remember putting flat earth memes in my final presentation for one of my business classes. And I remember my best friend saying at a party that I don't really believe the earth is flat. I just want everyone else to think that the earth is flat which I think was a, a pretty accurate assessment at the time. And, and most people knew I was just joking around. Uh, but ultimately, my, my little experiment failed. And I, no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't really convince myself of any of these conspiracy theories that I was wasting a lot of time looking into, as Eddie Bravo would say. That's his catchphrase. He says, just look into it, man. You only don't believe in flat earth because you haven't looked into it. But yeah, no matter how hard I looked into it, I, I couldn't quite convince myself. But in the process, I noticed uh, a bunch of things about these Eric Dubé documentaries. Uh, one of the glaring realities was that the facts that Eric Dubé talked about were, were just, were either extremely skewed exaggerated or just completely false. 
And that that was really evident in one of his videos where he claims that dinosaurs are are a hoax. And this dinosaurs are a hoax theory is part of the the larger flat earth theory. Um, For example, Eric Dubay made the claim constantly that we've never found a full dinosaur skeleton. He, He was implying that what happens is archaeologists find like some old teeth, some ancient teeth, and then they use the teeth to extrapolate the whole skeleton. They, they design a skeleton, they make plastic molds of it, and then they, you put up those molds in, in museums, and that's what people see as dinosaurs. But the, a real dinosaur skeleton had never been discovered. That's Eric Dubay's claim. But ultimately, that's, that's a, a lie. That's completely ridiculous. You know, we, it's, it has the inklings of truth to say we've never found a full skeleton, but we've found skeletons that are well over 90% complete, right? right? Like we know what a Tyrannosaurus Rex looked like. We found startlingly, um, incredibly well-preserved Tyrannosaurus Rex skeletons. Of course, Eric Dubay would say those are fake. Uh, and ultimately it's true that we don't see the actual bones in museums, but that's because they're incredibly fragile and they wouldn't last very long if we stuck metal rods and wires through them. Um, so clearly this is all extremely disingenuous, which I would still consider to be a complete lie. Another thing that I noticed was that Eric makes all of his videos in a timeline format. So he'll make a timeline of the flat earth theory, a timeline of dinosaur discoveries and, and things like that. And the, the reason he does this is he takes all of these these fake facts, and he turns them into a narrative, a a very long-form story that often goes for for hours at a time, and it's kind of like a journey he takes a person on, like a fictional story. Um, I find this particular aspect very interesting, especially because of how I look at stories from from the Jungian perspective and, and kind of a neurological perspective. You know, Jung made the claim that the archetypes of our collective unconscious are are the fundamental categories that we think in, that all the information we take in and process, we place into this, this archetypal schema. And then that's what that's why we we tell memories and dreams and even facts in something that's akin to a story. Much, if not all, of our cognitive functions, our conscious abilities are organized around stories or, or rather the idea of a story is a direct reflection of our cognitive structure. So ultimately I think this format plays a really big role in making Eric Dubay's documentaries so compelling to some people. So now I'm going to quickly explain some of the axioms and the, the core components of this flat earth theory. And that'll lead into this, discussion about the mythology and the the Jungian psychoanalytic interpretation of the theory. Uh, So one of the most important axioms is that science, as we typically know it, as the education system lays out, is a lie. And I I think this is a, a funny and interesting axiom. Basically, they claim that all the science we're taught is pseudoscience. It's based on stacking one unproven theory on top of another. Um, they hint at 
gravity being an unexplained theory and it's simply a measurement that we we it's simply an observation that we measured and then they claim that we built a post hoc rationalization around it and this component of the theory has has a bit of truth in it and it's in fact even the the point of gravity it has has the inklings of truth in it not to say it's right, not to say that everything we know is pseudoscience, but it is the case that the theory of gravity, when it was first conceived, was was incomplete. We, our current model of gravity, much close, more closely aligns to the model of general relativity than the Newtonian model, right? Newtonian physics became a subset of Einsteinian physics. So it, it is true in some sense that we need to be careful when we're taking an observation and building a theory around it. But, but let's continue. So they claim that their flat earth theory is substantiated by what they, they would insist is real science. And they, this real science consists of very simple home experiments. Essentially they'll, um, they'll watch a ship go over the horizon and then they'll zoom in on binoculars and see the ship again. And they'll say that that's proof that the ship is not disappearing over the curve, that the disappearing over the curve is an optical illusion. Now, again, there's the inklings of truth there, right? You can watch a ship disappear over the horizon and then zoom in and see it again, but only to a certain point because there is an optical illusion element of it, but eventually, the ship will go over the curve and you won't be able to see the ship. So they'll, they'll make all of these little experiments and, and they're typically extremely simple. They do them at home and then they post them in these flat earth circles, these Facebook groups, and everyone kind of shares their findings. It's, it's actually a comedic emulation of science. It's almost a phenomenological interpretation of the world because if you know, you know if you go into a field and you look around you know you see the mountains holding up the sky and you see a flat disk and you see the sky and you don't see a, a, a spinning ball you see a flat earth that really is the phenomenological interpretation of the world so they do these these primitive science experiments that verify their phenomenological interpretation, but they don't push it far enough and try to disprove it enough to see that at some point their phenomenal, phenomenological worldview collapses once you look at the, at the broader reality of nature that extends past the microcosm of human experience. So anyway, for a flat earther, all other conspiracy theories, because once you believe in one conspiracy theory, you believe in all of them. And that's, that's mostly a personality element. If you're a, if your studies have found that if you're high in neuroticism, you're more likely to believe in conspiracy theories. Uh, you're more likely to, to worry that the world is, is conspiring, that the world, the end of the world is imminent. And that often manifests in conspiracy theories. So anyway, if you believe in the flat earth, you believe in a lot of other conspiracy theories and they tend to use the other conspiracies to justify the flat earth and the ones that don't fit into the flat earth narrative, 
they they say that that's controlled opposition, that those conspiracy theories originated by the government and the powers that be that are trying to distract conspiracy theorists. They're trying to make you focus on fake conspiracies that they make up so you don't discover the flat earth. A, a great example of that are UFOs, right? Because a lot of conspiracy theorists are into UFOs. However, if aliens exist, then, then the whole flat earth cosmology breaks down. You can't have aliens in the flat earth because they essentially believe reality itself, all of reality, there is no space. That the stars we see is part of the firmament that holds up the sky and that there are no aliens. So what they invented is a, is a conspiracy theory called Project Bluebeam, where they, they claim that Nazi scientists that entered the United States developed this project called Project Bluebeam that was using hologram technology to eventually bring about a fake alien invasion. And the fake alien invasion would be how the world governments collapse and turn into one new world order. And then that conspiracy theory is based on a real conspiracy theory called Operation Paperclip. Uh, which was a, a U.S. government program that took Nazi scientists at the end of World War II and brought them into the country to spearhead scientific programs. What's ironic about this dynamic of Operation Paperclip and Project Bluebeam and the, the larger Flat Earth theory is they're doing exactly what they claim science is doing. They're taking one observable thing, something that's definitely true. For example, we can measure that things fall at 9.8 meters per second per second. In their case, it's we can confirm that Nazi scientists entered the United States at the end of World War II, and they start stacking theories on top of it. They stack Project Bluebeam and the New World Order, and then they stack the, the, the larger Flat Earth theory on top of it. So Operation Paperclip is how they convince themselves that all of our space information comes from Nazis and that's all part of this broader lie. They, they insist that all the photos of the Earth from space that we have are CGI um, uh, and that, that none of it's real. The, the, of course, the moon landing was a hoax in this theory. That's another conspiracy that plays into it. And essentially they see flat earth as the granddaddy of all the conspiracy theories, the, the real big conspiracy that all the other conspiracies are playing into. Now, there's also a religious element to this worldview and this conspiracy theory, and I believe that that's actually the driving force of how this theory became so prominent in 2019. <clears throat> uh, and this discussion of the religious elements of Flat Earth will lead to a whole tangent about Carl Jung and Friedrich Nietzsche and hallucinations and shit. So there, there, so there are biblical illusions that many Flat Earthers will cite, um, especially the ones that are, are particularly Christian, Christian fundamentalists. And they'll cite the book of Revelations where the Bible says, quote, 
And after these things, I saw four angels standing on four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, and the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And essentially, they 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 interpret this to build a flat earth cosmology where there are essentially four pillars on the this round disk of the flat earth that hold up the sky. And, and another verse that they reference is from the Gospel of Luke, where it says, And the devil, taking him, meaning Jesus, up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Now, what they take this to mean is Jesus was on such a high mountain that he saw all of the world. And of course, that's impossible if the earth is a, a ball. And you're, you're going to interpret this literally. Now, these biblical allusions actually go back to something that Eddie Bravo said on the Joe Rogan podcast when he was being drilled and asked what the purpose of this conspiracy theory is. Why would the government and the, the world powers be pushing this? And Eddie said that they're hiding the creator from us. So, so that's it. To flat earthers, the rational materialist worldview itself is a lie that was constructed by the powers that be in order to destroy religion and meaning in people's lives. Our, our entire culture is a conspiracy to the real hardcore flat earthers. And, and this is a very interesting response to, I believe, the, the phenomenon that Nietzsche talked about in The Gay Science when he declared that God is dead. Nietzsche claimed that our culture was so engrossed in the newly discovered scientific method that we recklessly destroyed all of the myths that gave our lives purpose without giving ourselves any time to adapt to the change. And he believed that that would be the condition of, of the, the 20th century. Uh, and I believe that that is what's going on at, at some level. I think the flat earth movement is a neurotic, paranoid reaction to the modernist worldview. Now, this idea was actually explicitly explored in one of Carl Jung's visions. In a vision that he had in 1913, which is recorded in his journal, The Red Book, Jung made allusions to the discovery that the earth is flat as a kind of metaphor for coming to the conclusions that Friedrich Nietzsche came to in The Gay Science. One vision, in one vision, Jung encountered a giant during a journey from the west to the east. Jung is traveling from to the east, and the giant is traveling to the west, and they cross paths at a mountain pass. And archetypally, the west is a, a land of mysticism, and the east is a land of science and logos. It goes along with the idea of Enlightenment era rationality emerging out of the West and the, the spirituality that's becoming very popular in our culture coming from the East. In a lot of writings, that duality also expands beyond the realm of human society into the microcosm of the brain, where one hemisphere deals with concrete articulation and the other hemisphere deals with poetic dreamlike intimations. Jung actually once referenced this idea in an interview where he said, it seems like one half of the world 
was made by an engineer and the other half was made by a foolish poet. Anyway, Jung meets this giant who reveals his name to be Isdubar, and they chat for a bit because Isdubar isn't really intimidated by this tiny human from the West, and he wants to know more about the Western lands that he's traveling towards. And during this conversation, Isdubar asks Jung, quote, does the sun sink into the sea, or does it touch the solid land in its decline? This is a reference to the myth that the sun travels over the earth from the east to the west, and that it dies at the end of the day and goes into the underworld and is reborn each morning. It's akin to the idea that the night symbolizes death and the day symbolizes life, and the hero's journey goes into the land of the dead and, and is reborn, and the hero is reborn at the end of the journey as something greater. This cosmology is similar to what we see in the Flat Earth movement. So Jung tells Isdubar in the vision, there's nothing but empty space there. As you know, the Earth is round, and moreover, it turns around the sun. Now this revelation absolutely crushes Isdubar. The giant was looking for some kind of validation for his journey, but what Jung tells him basically means that it's all in vain. He'll never reach the sun. He'll never reach this, this transcendent level of existence. He'll never complete his journey and reach this level of immortality. And this is exactly the revelation that Nietzsche believed would happen to Christians when we discover that the earth is round. And so Isdubar is devastated. He takes his axe and he smashes it on the rocks and destroys it. And then he hurls a piece of it at the sun. Like basically he's just enraged at the state of reality. Then Jung tries to talk to Isdubar and, and make him feel a little better, but he really can't because Jung had just obliterated Isdubar's entire purpose in life within like 30 seconds of conversation. And during the conversation, Isdubar refers to Jung's words as poison. That's a direct reference to Nietzsche's The Gay Science, where Nietzsche notes that the rational process of doubting and challenging and breaking down and discarding beliefs is a kind of poison to the spirit. Isdubar also relates Jung to a serpent, which is an interesting allusion to the, the Christian creation myth and the Garden of Eden. I also think it's related to depictions of the Virgin Mary standing triumphantly on top of a serpent. So while, while you have the, the Garden of Eden story where Eve, who is an anima image, is tempted by the serpent to, to, to eat from the fruit of knowledge and she and Adam achieve self-consciousness and that's just a, a tragic fall from grace. This symbolism of Mary standing on top of the serpent establishes her and the anima archetype as the positive element of knowledge and self-consciousness. So the, the poison, the serpent image is one aspect of, of this coming to consciousness motif. And it's the, the devastating and poisonous and destructive aspect. And Mary and the anima archetype is this kind of transcendent, triumphant image of, of self-consciousness. Anyway, 
by the end of the conversation is Dubar wants to just lie on the mountain and die. And Yoon goes to sleep. And that that's really where that chapter of the Red Book ends. And then the next chapter is the following morning. During the morning, Yoon feels horrible for what he did to his Dubar. And he has an idea. He tells his Dubar that he needs to admit that he's a fantasy. Is Dubar is obviously reluctant to admit this, but really he has nothing left to lose because he just wants to lay there and die. So is Dubar admits that he is a fantasy. Once is Dubar says that he's a fantasy, Jung is able to lift up the giant and carry him down into the Western lands because this, this fantasy becomes weightless. It's no longer a dying burden for Jung to, to witness. He can just lift it and take it with him. So he fits his Dubar into his pocket, and his Dubar transforms into an egg. In a later chapter, there's chapters of, of incantations and, and poetry following this is Dubar's transformation into an egg. But eventually, the egg hatches, and is Dubar is reborn again in this radiant glory where he has a new axe and everything. And this is ultimately a metaphor for something akin to taking the dreams and the religious intimations of the past and reconciling it with the discovers, discoveries of the rationalist materialist West. This reconciliation between science and religion is something that Jung worked to do throughout his whole life. Um, it's something that I've heard many of my hardcore Catholic friends to describe as modernism or heresy. And ultimately, I think it's something that flat earthers are just completely unable to do. Rather than having their old image of God admit that he's a fantasy, they, they drag this dying God into the modern Western philosophical landscape. They reject the scientific worldview that emerged and the current rationalist culture. But ultimately that means that their God cannot be given new life and their understanding of existence can't develop. It means that those for those people to have a meaningful life, they need to reject science and reality. So to wrap up, I believe that flat eartherism is A, entertaining, B, sad, and C, an understandable psychopathology. It's something that doesn't necessarily reflect stupidity, but a loss of something that's very important for people to have. And that something is a, a relationship with the transcendent and sublime aspects of life. I don't think that the solution is to accept flat eartherism, but rather it's, it's to be open-minded enough to continue developing a spirituality that's appreciative of both our traditions and the religions of our past, and also our current scientific understandings that, for example, the earth is round. And I think that this is one of the great challenges of modern mankind. And 
you know, brilliant minds like Carl Jung at least got us started on that journey. But there's quite a bit of work to do in developing, A, continuing to develop our scientific knowledge, but also continuously updating our spiritual understanding of the world with that scientific knowledge. And then also this very long and difficult process of letting it absorb into our culture. I think that's something that new agers are, are trying to do, albeit I, I don't think they're doing a great job. I think they're, they're rejecting or, or manipulating a lot of science, but it, it's something that it's progress in this, this, this culture wide journey to, to reconcile this problem that, that Friedrich Nietzsche brought up that Carl Jung attempted to answer and that flat earthers are really suffering from. Thank you for listening.